What's up, guys? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Wednesday, November 20th. Happy Hump Day. This week's episode, preparing for Thanksgiving break. My name is Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Natalie Zamudio. What up, Double G? It's raining outside in case you notice maybe not where you are but it's raining over here Man, and... over here it's looked like it wants to all morning but now the sun's coming out so if i had to say will it or won't it it won't uh it looks like we just missed it but yeah i see the clouds collecting more in your your neck of the woods over the mountains yeah getting so. some thunder and uh it's good you know for the for the plants and for for the drought i guess from permission i think I don't think we're in like the main major drop that we were before, but California could always use some rain, so I'm happy to have it. It actually feels a little bit like November, uh, which is which has not been the case for the previous 19 days. So. You know what I find funny is that what is sad is that you've had you know it's a rainy day today, right? And everyone all month. Well, there's the fires. There's this fire. There's that fire. That fire is going to become this fire. And the second they're done, oh yeah, it's finally raining. <laughs> I mean, what that's a cruel joke. Mother Nature's cruel joke. Not even right, man. But I mean, <laughs> look, we're fine, and you know, obviously, look, it, those things are no joke. You got a lot of people who get displaced in the houses and their homes, and so best wishes to everybody. But you know, the irony is not lost on people with eyes. Let's just say it <laughs> like it is. Yeah. But yeah, guys. Obviously, you know, it is. Very odd because I, I even I didn't even want to do the math because I felt like I'd get lost trying to count them. But we are coming off an insane streak of consecutive fight weeks. Even if it wasn't UFC, I felt like we'd had like a big Bellator in there, and it's it, we just went straight through. And we've literally been churning fight week after fight week after fight week after fight week. That the fact that we don't even have you know one there haven't been major major fights announced, big main events really. And then, you know, we don't even have, you know, uh, another fight for two weeks from Saturday. It's just insane. So it's going to be quite an interesting few weeks. We have uh, some interesting stuff that we'll announce later in the show for what we're going to do during our little holiday vacation. But the news does still roll around. There's still some stuff going on. There were still fights over the weekend. So let's take a trip down to Sao Paulo, Brazil. Jan Blahovic welcomes Jacare Souza to the light heavyweight division. Natalie, um, the biggest thing I took away from this fight, and I think that um, was part of the perception of it, is that, yeah, uh, in terms of the action, uh, very methodical. I think both guys ended up respecting each other's power a lot more than maybe was expected. But I said it for many weeks. That you had Dominic Reyes, Corey Anderson turn in a first-round knockout. You had Jan Blahovich coming off that big knockout of Luke Rockhold. If he got that first-round stoppage of Jacare, I mean, uh, look, very bluntly, he's coming off the best two, you know, best two performances at light heavyweight in terms of finishes. You know, uh, Dominic Reyes, respectfully, the Uzdemir fight, split decision. Um... Corey Anderson, you know, been a bit of a layoff, and the Johnny Walker one, Jan had a chance to be the one coming off two big knockouts. And instead, you have a very slower, very measured-paced fight, which obviously, you know, 
when you talk about at the end of the night, sometimes it could be a very tough one to digest for the fans, especially in Brazil, who are excited to see some action, especially from their hometown guy. But in terms of the fight, I was impressed by Jacare's physicality. He looked a lot stronger than I expected. You could clearly see the size difference against Jan, but I felt like Jacare held his own in terms of the power. It didn't look like he was really being bullied around at all. If anything, I think that Jan was more careful, chose to work the um, the leg kicks, obviously. Didn't want to really stand and give Jacare that opportunity, similar to the Chris Weidman fight. So I think that in terms of uh, the action, Jan better strategy. I think that Jacare surprised a lot of people with how he dealt with the size disadvantage, so to speak. But at the end of the day, um, uh, that was a Jan Blahovic fight. I think that Jacare got a few moments in, but I did not feel it was quite as close as people made it out to be. What about you? Yeah, I think you you summed it up pretty nicely and respectfully. They did stay on that word. They did show each other maybe too much respect uh, as far as respecting the power and the uh, you know unique skills that they each possess. I gotta admit, it kind of put me, it kind of put me to sleep a little bit. But I don't know how much of that is the fight, and how much of that is me being, you know, large and in charge with a eight month pregnancy here. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, I was, I was trying to stay with it, and then I kind of, I kind of tuned out for a little bit, and then came back. So, uh, yeah, it, it just, it just kind of disappointed when I, when you on paper. With Jan's previous performances, Jacare's pedigree, he's great on the feet, he has an amazing ground game, and he was talking about going back to that. Didn't see it too much, not a lot of action. And yeah, Jan needed a big win to make an impression on that on that cue for John Jones, and I don't think he did it. So it's not a terrible loss for Jacare because his first shot at 205. It's also not an amazing win for Jan, but it doesn't do anything really to hurt him. So he'll kind of just stay floating, I think, there until he gets another fight and can do more to showcase his uh, entertainment, the, like the entertainment value that he brings. Like a lateral move kind of deal for both guys? Yeah, I would say definitely just uh, they're in the holding pattern right now. So no harm, no foul. And, you know, that happens sometimes. So they can't all be... They can't all be BMFs. <laughs> no, this is very true. Um, I, I will say, if you asked me, you know, last month, what do I think will be the more exciting fight, Jan versus Jacare or Ben Askren versus Damian Maya, I would, you know, not have told you the, the Singapore main event. So I think that that's a testament to, you know, styles make fights and also how important this fight was. Uh, maybe they took less risks being aware of what it meant. I mean, Jacare, this is now... Two losses in a row, if I'm not mistaken. Um, for Jan, obviously, he wanted that big breakthrough. He did not want to take a st second step back after losing the title eliminator to Tiago Santos. So, you know, some like you said, very well, sometimes these happen. I don't think it was a bad strategy by both men, even if it was not the most entertaining. But look, that once again, that's how the fight game goes. Uh, real quick, for Jacare. Do you want to keep seeing him at 205? Did he do anything that made you think, you know what, he needs to go back to middleweight? No, he didn't. And I I love it when the fighters say they feel better and they, you know, they had a better camp and they're just 
feeling healthier, like you got to go with that, especially at, you know, this age for him, he can still do something cool in, in UFC and MMA and being at 205, I think will give him that opportunity. You know, it's always tough when these guys move up, move down too, but moving up has shown us recently how hard it is to do that as well. You think, Oh, I'm going to bring all this power and all this confidence, but it doesn't always work out that way on the debut. So I actually looking forward to seeing what adjustments he makes for the second showing at 205. I think he should stick there, stay there. Yeah, I'm ready to see him fight one more. I don't think he looked bad at all. I, I will say this. When you talk about his age, I mean, look, when you talk about guys and they're hitting the 40-year mark, it is very tough for me to say, yeah, go ahead and fight some bigger athletes. And that's not a knock on his skills at all. That is just, you know what? It is inevitable every, you know, the chin got to go sooner or later. And Jacare has been a guy who's fought for a long time, not too many miles on the body. You know, he hasn't taken, you know, he's never really been beaten down in his career, really. So I will say that. But when you talk about fighting a big guy like John Jones, Dominic Reyes, Johnny Walker, these really, you know, just athletic specimens at 205, you know, and by the way, Jan is no joke either. It, it's tough, but definitely, I felt like he held his own. I want to see him one more time, see how his body adjusts to it. But truth be told, if he goes back to 185, he's still got a lot of options there, in my opinion. But he did not show me something that said, yeah, this is a bad move for you. And I agree with you on that one. Yeah. Uh, Jan Blahovic. So he is still a big player going into 2020. Um, I think that he's similar to the... Adesanya Paulo Costa mark is that if something happens with Dominic Reyes or Corey Anderson, he's not necessarily out of the running to get a title shot. Or to use a better comparison, the um, Jessica Andrade, Tatiana, Whaley, Joanna, all that, you know, Michelle Watterson mix up we had at Strawweight. He is not out of the picture. But as, unless there's a major shakeup, he does fight at least one more guy. He's fought Corey Anderson before. I think that the time is great for a rematch. I think both of them are now not just more notable, but have really developed as fighters. I think they've really just come into their own on their recent um, trajectory that I think the time is great. And I think that when you talk about it, let's say Reyes and Jones fight sometime, let's say before May of next year then making this fight happen and then setting up a you know okay. a third fourth quarter clash with John or the winner of John and Reyes Yeah, I think that makes sense. So we'll see how how it shakes out with Dominic Reyes, John Jones. Jan's still still in the mix, I would say despite the uh you know uh underwhelming performance. Uh he's still a viable option. We know what he can do. So Dominic Reyes, Corey Anderson, however it shakes out with John Jones. Initially, if that doesn't pan out for whatever reason, there's always still Jan, and that's I think that's still a big fight. Probably John Jones won't get too excited about it, um, but you know, it's he's still powerful, he's still impressive, he's still a big name, and I think he'll definitely give us a better performance than he did against Jacare. Yeah, I, I am completely with you there. I think that it's a very, I, you know, I think a lot of people underestimate Jan, and I get it. He didn't get a lot of big TV exposure before the fight with Santos. And, you know, obviously the Luke Rockhold fight was his breakout party. But, you know, this is a guy who's a tough customer for anybody. And 
you know, people kind of forget the fight with Santos wasn't one-sided. You know, that was still a very methodical fight for both of those guys before Tiago found his opening. So, you know, uh, I'm ready for it. I do think that he's a tough guy for anybody, and that includes John. But yeah, we'll definitely see that. I'm expecting we hear from him probably in the spring. And then, you know, we figure out probably late summer, early fall. To, uh, assuming all of the cards play out the way we're expecting them to with John and Reyes probably fighting by May or April the next year. Yeah, I see. Yeah, moving on. There, was, so we do have one main event announced. It's going to be. It's very interesting. We had a lot of fights announced to fill up these cards, but obviously we're waiting on the big confirmation on the notorious. But this one, the first main event, Junior Dos Santos will be headlining UFC Rally in North Carolina against Curtis Blades. That one is going down January 25th. Obviously, it goes head-to-head with Chris Cyborg's Bellator debut against Julia Budd in Los Angeles for the featherweight title. Um, Natalie, I got some interesting trivia. So, obviously, people remember what happened with uh, his shin, the cellulitis, the infection. Well, that pulled him out of the fight with Volkov about two weeks ago. But did you know that he is doing so well on Dancing with the Stars that he was eliminated and then made his way back onto the show. And he's still technically on it right now. Now, what was the, what were the circumstances for him getting put back on the show? I think it's a thing like he got eliminated, but they have a special kind of like, you can compete and get a spot back in the show. So wow. like, even though he was, you know, voted off, he kind of, you know, made his way back on with a good dance, I guess. I mean, good for him. They don't do that here in the U.S. Dancing with the Stars. But that that cellulitis uh, looked pretty nasty. It looked like he had like a giant hole in his leg. So, I mean, good for him to have healed so quickly because that did not look pretty at all. Okay, so Loki, I have to be honest. I really need him to do an English interview and explain how were you pulled out of a fight but you could still dance. Please and thank you, JD. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're they're two physical activities, but obviously very different when you're targeting when you're talking about chopping down with leg kicks. I mean, look what happened to Jan's foot just being on the offensive side of it. So, but yeah, that to me, I was like, um, yeah, uh, I think he's still got explaining to do for sure. <laughs> yeah, but um, don't get me wrong. If he really loves dancing that much, far be it from me to stop a man from living his best life. But, you know, don't take fights until then, JDS. That's all. But yeah, I, I think that that's a... Uh, that one had me scratching my head a little bit when I read it, for sure. But look, that, there's obviously a big fight. That show will be concluded by that time, you know, for the record. But look, JDS... He was doing well. He was looking to rebound from the first round knockout to Francis Ngannou. Curtis Blades is looking for his third straight win against JDS. Obviously make that big move back up the division and talking about a title shot. What are your thoughts on this fight? Well, I, I love JDS's boxing. That's always been a feature of his fighting that I've enjoyed most. And the loss to Ngannou was... It was a tough one because Ngannou's just like got that like split second like awkward catch you on the flip side of a of a punch or exiting from a move or something kind of assault. So like JDS, not that he didn't lose fair and square, but it was just one of those weird 
Francis and Ganu shots that catches you and you're like, what happened? I don't know. Uh, so, so for JDS, I'm happy that he's, that he's back. He's got another shot. Chris plays is tough though, but you know, sometimes he can be a little bit, um, hmm. uh, more methodical. Say, <laughs> <laughs> Your word's probably nicer, but yeah, it's the, you know, the wrestling style, not that he doesn't have, you know, power, but yeah, it gets a little, um, a little uneventful. So, I hope that JDS can bring out the more active side in Curtis Blades. I'm looking forward more just to seeing JDS perform than I am to seeing both of them fight each other. So, uh, but but it's an important fight for both guys. And uh, you know, it, it's 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 you mentioned. I think you mentioned this about Cyborg and Julia Blood or no? Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. Sad. So that's a tough one, you know, because that's actually a really exciting, interesting fight. Uh, Cyborg versus Julia Budd. So um, if they're on at the same time, I think I'm going to pick Cyborg Budd and, and watch uh, JDS later. But maybe they'll time it so that we can get, we can watch both. I doubt it though. If it's in uh, in the U.S. market, so I don't know. For me, the the better card, just the better headline headlining fight is the uh, Cyborg Julia Budd. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I know they announced I believe Aaron Pico for that night, and then. Um... They have a, one of the featherweight Grand Prix fights. I don't think it was Pitbull. I think it's the Borix. Um, oh, AJ McKee? No, or AJ fights in uh, Hawaii. I think it's the Borix um, Darren Caldwell fight. Hmm. But yeah, which is a great fight, by the way. That's two front runners for this thing. So I, I think that that's it. I think it's on what do they stack on that one, which we are actually about to talk about. But um, really, for me, I think that what it comes down to is for Curtis Blades, um, he's kind of like Jan Blahovich. He's a tough guy for a lot of people, but it just, you know, a lot of his fights seem to be scheduled in, on cards that, you know, he just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And, you know, the, it's kind of tough to say that because it's like, well, look, you can only fight the fights when they happen, right? But there are certain cards more people tune in for, and, you know, it's a... It's a trickle-down effect. If more people are excited for a main event, more people are hanging out watching the prelims, whereas, you know, there are plenty of fans after the fact they watch, you know, the main event and that's it. Not everybody's like, well, eh, you know, yeah, but, you know, there's a million things to do with your day no matter what you're a fan of. So sometimes that's tougher, and I think that he's just not had too many of those big scheduling fights. But look, he's a tough guy. He's been in a lot of big ones already. I think this is a tough one for JDS on the wrestling. I think that um, also you got to talk about timing. JDS is literally perennial contender. You know, he's like every time you think, well, is it the downswing? Nah, he reels off like two, three more and he's back in title contention. It's such an interesting thing. And I think that this is another, like I hate to just beat the dead horse broken record but possible crossroads you know jds wants to prove he's still there curtis blades wants to prove that he's ready for the next level so i think that it's stylistically interesting i think that there's personal stakes big for both men at this stage of their career so you know not for nothing it isn't one where if either man loses lateral move this is a very important one for both men too yeah i mean it's uh in this division every fight counts for sure 
Yeah, but look, obviously there's a lot going on on this. You know, they're going to have that two-week stretch. In the co-main event, it sounds like Frankie Edgar making his Bantamweight debut against Corey Sanhagen. So look, obviously, Natalie, we've been exposed to a lot of the, you know, Conor McGregor wants it, and then there was a lot of talk about Aljamain Sterling and MSG, et cetera, et cetera. But Frankie Edgar is officially going to fight Corey on January 25th. Corey Sanhagen is on a seven-fight win streak, including five in the UFC. Frankie Edgar obviously looking to rebound from that loss for the 145 title against Max Holloway in July. Um, This is very interesting because, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, the size advantage finally for Frankie Edgar. And he's fighting a guy who's like 5'11". Argue, I think the tallest guy at Bantamweight. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on the fight? Well, yeah, the size difference. It's like, what? That was the whole point. Is He's basically fighting Max Holloway at 135. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, probably not the opponent he was had in mind when he thought dropping to 135 would give him the, you know, uh, final bit of advantage uh, as he looks at the end of his career there. So... Um, man, I don't know. I, I, you know, he's, he was a champ at 155, 145, and, uh, you know, he, he did his best there, but going down to 135 for someone who's getting older, like dropping down in weight, I should say, just makes me a little bit nervous. But if he really thinks he can do it, all right, man, good on him. We'll see. But this is a tough, a tough debut and the UFC has not been kind or generous to all um, their their top athletes that are making weight changes. We've seen it with Weidman, Rockhold, now with Frankie Edgar. There's another one that I can't think of. Jacare. Yeah, Jacare. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, mean, it wasn't as drastic, but you get yeah, what I'm well, saying. He didn't get like blitzed, you know, but yeah. but still, it was not no easy uh, no easy debuts for these guys making weight changes. TJ, it's a different story, you know. He asked for it, and uh, so. <laughs> Frankie Edgar is very talented. Corey Sanhagen, though, he's he's on the rise. That that really long and lengthy body and that style. You know, who knows how much longer he can sustain 135, being 5'11", as he is. But it's uh, to me, it's an exciting fight. I'm looking forward to it. And um, what I do wonder is if Frankie Edgar can't can't get the win against Corey, what, where does he go next, right? Does he give 135 another shot? Does he call it a day? Because what does he have looking waiting for him at 145, right? He can climb the ladder again, but if he's going to run into Max Holloway, well, I think we know how that'll go. Mm-hmm. But if he runs into someone like, let's say, Volkanovski, should he beat Holloway? Maybe he'll fare better. You know, how much does size really affect? How much does opponent size really affect Frankie Edgar's success? And I think we'll see in this fight. You know, we'll get a little more answers to that question. I mean, you you got to look at the guy's Frankie Edgar's spot. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's only ever lost. I mean, Jose Aldo, Max Holloway, for crying out loud. I mean, you're talking about 1A and 1B, best featherweights of all time. Talking about Brian Ortega, just physical specimen at 145. Um, you know, I, I give him a bit of a pass there because the, the biggest thing about Frankie Edgar is that his skills are much, you know, much greater than maybe his physical gifts. He's not a knockout puncher. He's not this 
tall, long, you know, just how does this guy make 145 and still fight that good? He's not one of those guys. He's very, you know, his work ethic and his pace and his skills honestly just outwork so much of the competition. And that's a testament to how good they are. That being said, I think at 135, the biggest question, you know, with Corey Sanhagen is, well, you make a great point. Can he actually replicate the things Max Holloway does? Um, on paper, no. I don't expect him to be as great a boxer as uh, Holloway, as well-rounded and put it all together quite as cleanly. That being said, the blueprint is obviously there. You know, get that jab out there. The fight is going to be 15 minutes. That bodes well for Corey in terms of, you know, the deep waters. Frankie Edgar trying to go there. Well, you know, Corey can kind of blow through more of the gas tank early um, because it's a 15-minute fight. I think that it really comes down to defend the takedown establish the jab, try to use your physicality. Yes, Frankie Edgar's, quote, the guy moving down in weight, but Corey figures to be the taller, bigger fighter. It's just about making him feel that presence in enough of the fight to subdue more of the volume of Frankie Edgar. Easier said than done, but that's obviously the challenge that Sanhagen has in front of him. He is capable of it. The question is, can Frankie Edgar obviously overcome that as he has against so many people. So I think that that makes that fight interesting. Um, you're not wrong. If he drops the fight to Corey, I think that it becomes a question of what is he in it for? And is if it's the love of the competition, regardless of titles, he's certainly got a ton of options no matter what weight class. If it's about world title or bust, maybe he does have to ask himself a few more questions because that's a bigger drop in line. You got to imagine that Max um, or, you know, just everyone at 145, it's either, you know, a clean sweep of the division and a move up to 155 is what we feel is right there for Max Holloway. If Frankie Edgar can't get it done at 135, you look at 155, I don't even have to explain all the challenges there. Maybe Frankie Edgar reevaluates it, but this is a guy who clearly still has a lot of fight left, and a loss to Corey Sanhagen would not change that either. Yeah, that's true. He's still Frankie Edgar. I mean, he's everyone's favorite ice cream. You always <laughs> know what you're going to get. It's always going to be consistent. It's never not on track. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I once heard it described as like, what is it? He's clearly a rocky road. I once ex described him as a Jersey sherbet, but that's just me. But yeah, um, look, that's a great fight to bolster the card. And when you talk about, we just mentioned it, going head-to-head -head with Bellator, not a bad strategy. Yeah, when you, when, you, when, you, when you consider the headline, the UFC headliner plus Frankie Edgar, yeah, that's, that definitely makes it a little bit tougher to make a decision between Bellator or UFC as far as watching them live. But, you know, the the tournament, the featherweight tournament, plus Aaron Pico, I'm still always look, looking forward to seeing how he's going to perform. So I'm not sure yet who I'm going to give my love to first, but, but uh, we'll see as the uh, as we approach the I date. Find, I find it cute that you seem to be forgetting that they're in L.A. We're most likely going to be there live anyway. You know, I, you might for sure, or you for sure will. I don't know if I will, but uh, I'll see how I feel. You know, you <laughs> will be. I'll have a newborn by then, so. <laughs> exactly. You'll be dying to get out of the house and be with That's nothing true. but a grown adults enjoying bloodshed. 
That's totally true. Yep. Like, hey, I should babe. apply for my credentials now. <laughs> hey, babe, I need the night off. Bye. Yeah, hold the baby. I'll be back in seven hours. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, but uh, good stuff. Um, there was a big fight announcement. I, in my opinion, this is one of the most interesting ones. Macy Barber against Roxanne Modafferi at UFC 246. That one on January 18th. Not official, but everyone, literally, we're all just waiting for the the confirmation that Connor is going to fight either Cowboy or Gaethje on that date. Um, this one, Macy Barber looking to go 9-0. and Modafferi has alternated wins and losses. She is coming off the loss to Jennifer Maya in July. Remember, she did have that big win over Antonina Shevchenko back in earlier in the year. Um, let me say the facts, Natalie. Modafferi is 17 years older than Macy and has five times more professional experience. The, that being said, everyone sees this Macy Barber's being given the Conor McGregor push. She is fighting on a Conor McGregor undercard. It does not get much bigger than that unless you are the main event. Um, what are your thoughts on the fight and the circumstances of this one? It's a very interesting matchup because Roxanne, Modafferi, yeah, that age gap is, is tremendous and the experience is vast. But, you know, we've seen her, at least I've watched her from tough to now, and, and she has improved, no doubt, improved a good deal. But there comes a point in her fights where she just kind of starts standing still um, and does this, like, head movement bob thing and then and then that's it the creativity sort of leaves her at a certain point so the fight against shevchenko antonina shevchenko was a great win for her but then we saw shevchenko in her next fight and she looked awesome and so i chalked that up more to the shevchenko sisters demonstrating a bit of hesitancy in their early ufc fights and then once they sort of feel it out and understand how much more of, of their talent they can showcase then they really go for the kill so um, that's more how I look at that fight. Macy Barber's a killer. She's out for blood. Looking at her record, her professional record, you know, she's like 8-0, right, you said? And only one of those went to decision. Everything's been a finish, and she's just a monster. Dana White loves her. She's got the the full, you know, backing of the UFC machine behind her. So, yeah, it's clear, as you say, that that's what they're looking to do. It's a little bit of a setup fight for, uh, for Macy, but... Monteferi's got grit, man, and she doesn't quit. She does not quit at all. So, and and I don't know if, if Barbara could finish her because she's so tough and she's uh, and she does have that experience. I think Monteferi will do whatever it takes to win the fight, even if it makes it an uh, sort of you know slow moving, quiet, boring fight. Barbara's going to do whatever she can to try and finish it. But I actually think that. We could be surprised with Montefiore's, um performance here. Not that it will be necessarily exciting, but that it will be reliable and could possibly neutralize Barber. So we'll see. Yeah, I think you hit a lot of great points. I think the biggest thing that stands out to me is the physicality on Macy Barber. I mean, for a young fighter, she's clearly young. Look, I get it. She doesn't look like a physical specimen at 125 like, say, Antonina. But she is clearly a very powerful fighter, very gritty. She gets um, she gets after it, plain and simple. That's what's gotten her so many victories. And, uh, you know, talking about her character, 
she's saying all the right things to get herself some big fights. She's kind of pulling a page out of the Henry Cejudo, the Conor McGregor playbook, say some stuff, go out there, handle business. It will raise your profile. She has done that and executed it beautifully at a young age. Roxanne Modafferi, I agree with you. Um, she's made so many vast improvements, but at a certain point, either, you know, it's enough or it isn't. And I think that she has struggled. And I think that that's just a stylistic thing. Um, she's tried to kind of rebuild her striking from the ground up. She's evolved so much. She's working with Joanne Calderwood and everyone at Syndicate in Vegas. But you're talking about, you know, when you talk about Shevchenko's who, you know, they kind of, the second they could walk, they were starting their little kickboxing routine, right? <laughs> you know, it, it, it is tough to make up that much of a gap. And then physicality, she, you know, she's not the most uh, athletically gifted fighter. She's not a home run hitter once again. Um, but look, once again, look, it, it comes down to the skills. She puts a high output out there. She's got great grappling. And that's been uh, very good for a lot of her fights. I think that what it comes down to is that this is a fighter who may look to really grapple with Macy, who maybe is going to be able to defend a lot of those early blitzes. She knows Macy is going to try to take her out and get in her face. Um, Roxanne, you know, respectfully, is a very tough fighter to get out of there, especially in recent years. So I do think that this is going to be a very interesting fight. I think it's a good test for Macy Barber if they go to the ground. But you're talking about who looks good on her record. You get past Roxanne. Now let's talk about people who are doing well. Let's talk about Rachel Ostovich, Montana De La Rosa. Let's talk about these other women who are doing well in the division. Um, the Paige Van Zandt thing, um, I don't know. I feel like if it was going to happen, this was it. It didn't, and I think that says a lot behind the scenes. So um, I think that's a very interesting, but for sure, this is clearly being set up to be the Macy Barber showcase by by far. Yeah, no doubt. And yeah, I don't know how I almost forgot about the Paige Van Zandt thing, but they're probably just letting that marinate a little bit. They're saving it. I, I don't think that uh, either one is going to escape fighting the other. I'm still disappointed Paige is a redhead because I was ready for that classic <laughs> blonde versus brunette rivalry. Yeah, what's with the, the dyeing of the hair? Valentina dyed her hair too. Maybe she's trying to... You know, it's like, hey, if it works for Valentina, <laughs> no, but um, I mean, I mean, you're talking about, you know, Lakers, Celtics, cats, dogs, blonde versus brunette. We almost had a classic rivalry. It's very disappointing. <laughs> no, I'm just having fun. But yeah, look, that one's going to be on the undercard of Conor McGregor. I'd like to point something out. People are kind of saying it won't happen. It won't happen. Guys, that that fight card wasn't even on the calendar. And now they're stacking an undercard. Yeah. It's going to happen. Just, I mean, no doubt. <laughs> somebody's got to, you know, fall off, fall down the stairs. The last two steps. I'm not talking like from the top, but you know. No, no, no. Yeah, something's got to happen for that yeah. event to get canceled at this point, if you ask Connor's me. Connor's definitely going to be fighting. And, you know, whether it's Cerrone, who seems like the front runner, or a paper bag, he will be in the cage with somebody. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of other stuff going on. I think the big one, Ben Askren announced his retirement on Monday. Um, I did not find that as shocking as his reaction to calling out Helwani for having Jorge Masvidal bobblehead on the desk. I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. 
But um, look, you know, Ben Askren needs a hip replacement. Those are no joke. Ask any athlete. They will tell you they don't even like playing pickup basketball after they've had one and that's it. And even if they were Michael Jordan for crying out loud or something like that. Um, I don't blame him because I think at the end of the day, I was re- I talked to someone about it and I was like, look, you know, when did he leave Bellator and he was a free agent? Like 2012, 2013? Look at the guys who are at the top. You had a lot of strikers, maybe, you know, besides GSP and Hendricks, you didn't have too many guys who were very well-rounded at the top. You know, you had John Fitch, Martin Kampman, Jake Shields. That it was really at a time where Ben Askren probably was going to make waves. And when you talk about, you know, GSP then, you I think you really did think that Ben Askren could really close the distance and make this a very interesting grappling match. Um, the game's obviously evolved in six years, and that, I think, caught up to him. He had announced his retirement over a year ago before, and, you know, he essentially came back to, you know, get on the mic and have some fights in UFC. I don't, you know, people talk about the, you know, who won the trade, one FC, you know, one championship or UFC. I didn't even see it like that. I think it's the fact that, like, look, you brought him in to galvanized the fan base he clearly did so he was part of the biggest one of the biggest storylines of the year against Jorge Masvidal I mean it's not a loss it's just timing and the fact is he came into the UFC when he did as opposed to maybe when he was on a little more of a hot streak and that's all there was to it yeah man you know I'm not surprised either and actually glad for it because Two losses, one win that was kind of a weird, not really win-win against Robbie Lawler. And uh, you look, you look, you take a step back after he loses to Damian Maya, and you're like, who, who's next? Like, who's gonna, who can he actually fight? There's just killers in that division as well. Like when we talk about 155, so I think he saw the landscape and realized what's the point. And okay, hip replacement. Geez, that's. <laughs> That's enough. Even if he was champion, that would be enough reason to to retire because that's a very serious surgery, especially at that age. And these aren't life, you know, lifetime parts, right? He'll have to have it replaced again, uh, replaced. The the fake hip will have to be replaced in 15, 20 years. And you're going to keep doing that until, you know, you say goodbye to you, to you walk off into the sunset. So it's a big deal. And he's got other you know, irons in the fire. He has plenty of things to do to keep himself busy. So going, uh, speaking to your, one of your points about, you know, who won the trade deal there is a win-win for both. I, I, I agree. You know, Mighty Mouse is doing great over there, building a whole new fan base. And Askren did not what the UFC expected him to do, which was to uh, elevate another fighter to such heights that, there he's now one of the biggest stars at the at the company. That's not what the UFC had in mind. But how do you how do you argue against that? You know, it wasn't Ben Askren who became the big face, but he certainly played a huge role in making Jorge Masvidal this uh, this BMF champion and badass for the UFC. No, I, I completely agree with you. And you know, yeah, it's just one of those things, one of those cases, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, once again, great career, champion in one, champion in Bellator, wins over guys like 
Douglas Lima, who for crying out loud, you could argue is one of the top four welterweights in the world right now. I mean, it just, excuse me, you know, a hiccup, but it is what it is. And um, yeah, look, he did what he had to. And if anything, I think what's the most impressive thing, this is a guy who's been in MMA how long? And the second he got to the UFC, everybody realized how funny he is and his personality. I think that speaks to, you know, how great of an opportunity he got. And clearly he made the best out of it. He didn't come to mess around. He came to say his thing and go out there. I hope we see more of the bromance with him and Tyron Woodley. I think it's one of the great love stories of our time. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot of good stuff there. And um, I was very... I was very impressed with it. He's had a great career. I would have liked to see some of those big fights happen, but just wasn't meant to be for Ben Askren. But amazing run regardless, and I'm sure we're going to be seeing him around. He's going to be doing something. Maybe he joins Helwani. Maybe he becomes another major podcast guy coming off of this, but he'll be around for sure. Yeah, I mean, he's got a voice, a personality. So you're right. We'll, We'll probably hear from him. Um, if not hear and see him on uh, one of our screens in the near future as regard, you know, regarding MMA. So, so yeah, he can be like, uh, you know, Chael or any of these fighters that starts their own channel or podcast and has some good success like Bisping as well. I'm not going to lie. I can see him and Chael having a successful show, man. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I, I, I could see that being something. Like, Joe Rogan, watch out on the MMA segments kind of deal. That is, that'd be some good comedy right there. But that yeah, so, actually pretty funny. Yeah, but yeah, good stuff. Natalie, this is usually where I tell you we need to get excited because we got fights to work on and talk about on Saturday. But as I said, we are on the middle of a break. So two and a half weeks before the next major MMA event. Um, there is going to be MVP um, back in action in London. I believe next Saturday, but you know, it's, it's tougher because of the tape delay to get excited for those. I'll just say it bluntly. Don't get me wrong. If you're in London, have some fun, but you know, it takes a little bit of the shine away when I already know what happened eight hours before I can actually watch it. Um, But yeah, so look, good stuff coming up. I will now announce it. We will have our very first guest as a panel. I interviewed him before. I think some of our listeners might have heard it. But Steve Orozco, the founder and CEO of Black Tie MMA event Smash Global, will be with us next week. To And so some things you may not know about Steve, that besides being a founder, he is actually a former MMA fighter himself. He was on Wall Street for a while. Businessman, passionate about the sport, passionate about this uh, just creation of his that he has put together. They are working on their ninth event. And of course, some people may also realize the obvious. He is my boss. I am the backstage reporter and in-cage interviewer at Smash Global. So a lot of people probably realize that, yeah, I got to say nice things. But he is a great guy nonetheless. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm not just saying it. <laughs> Look, but um, yeah, so I'm very excited for you guys to hear from Steve. He's a very passionate guy. He knows what he's talking about. He loves the sport. He talks about all the big fights as well. So you guys are in for some good stuff. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait. That's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I'll, I'll be mean if, if you can't, so don't worry about it. <laughs> you're going to get me in trouble. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, you're going to get me worried. 
Then mm-hmm. we're just like, I'm sorry, it's it's pregnancy brain. Get yes, out of yeah. here. It ain't that bad. It turns me evil. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, guys, so look, then as obviously if stuff breaks, we will be breaking that down next week. Um, If you guys do take a break, then certainly happy Turkey Day. Happy Thanksgiving if you're in the United States. Hope you have just a great holiday. And guys, we'll be back next week. Natalie, where can we find you on social media? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Natalie Zamudio underscore. And guys, you can find me all the time at Double G on TV.